Scheidt wedding. So that was then we drove back overnight. So I wasn't at the first service, so I got here. It was a great wedding, great venue. It was an old convent where everything, the, the entire day was perfect, except it got a little tense when they asked me if I was related to the Scheidts based on my hairstyle. <laughs> now, the thing is, is that, that was a little bit, uh, I told them that I trimmed in order to fit in. Which, in fact, is true. So it was, um, anyway, the Scheitz are well, and, you know, like, you know, their young grandson, like all the other Scheitz, you know, he married up as well. So tell Joanne that when you see her, okay? All the Scheitz men married up. That's what you have to remember about them. All right, there's a scat of stuff going on. As somebody said this morning to me, beer and babies and dogs and steak fry, it can't get any better at St. John. So there you go. Um, the comfort dogs are here. You know, they're famous all over the place, so that's fantastic. Um, Men's steak fry, which I think is a pig roast this year. So you should start to call your friends. You remember the rubrics, you show up. Everything is there except what you want to drink. There'll be ice where you can put whatever you want to drink and you know, have some fun. Big fire, it should be, you know, low bar, big fire. Uh, it should be, and park next door, it's, that's Steve's neighbor. Don't park on the street so you don't get a ticket. Um, uh, so a little real life story. You know, I'm driving to Cincinnati, I get a text. Um, uh, from Al Culver, who's the, like the number two guy in Senate, Litkin, the Bishop of Russia is stranded, can St. Louis, or can we take care of him? So the vicar, here's the, here's the great thing about being the senior pastor, I'm like, hey, I have an associate pastor. You know what the best thing about being the associate pastor is? You have a vicar, that's right. So they said, you know, the Bishop of Siberia is stranded at the, uh, at the airport, you know, can you pick him up in Chicago? We said we will do anything for the bishop. Uh, his arrival time was 1.13 a.m. God bless the vicar. But Pastor Nelson, you know, he's young, he can take it. So, but then the interesting thing was, and this is, so this kind of proves out one thing we've talked about at St. John is, when you give to missions, um, you remember at some times, you know, churches kind of lunge this way and that direction and all that. So the bishop said, you know, usually they count on $10,000 a month from all the churches in America. And, you know, they, they sent me a, a text and said, you know, for whatever reason, they've only gotten $1,000 this month. And they said, you know, he's like, he's asking, you know, is he going to have to borrow money so that it, the pastors aren't evicted from their apartments? Now, I mean, that's how thin the margins are on some of these mission things. And then I spent some time with Arthur Justin the way down, and we talked about Kenya and what's going on there, and the orphanages there, and, you know. I mean, he told me story. I mean, he was, and this, I've only, this doesn't usually happen, but, you know, he, he, the last time he went, they took him to places where the people that he met had never seen anybody with white skin. Now, that's into the bush. You know, you're out of ways when that happens to you, even in Kenya. And you might have heard the news over the weekend that um, Kenya has found two enormous aquifers. So suddenly Kenya, which has always been, you know, desert, suddenly will have more, enough water for the entire nation for a very, very long time. It'll change everything there. Of course, um, who gets control of the water is like who gets control of the oil. So that's going to be a tough, uh, a tough go. So there's a lot going on. Anyway, the point of all this is um, the money you give today we'll give to Siberia. Cause, and I think we're going to work with John and see if we can advance. We give on a regular basis. We're going to see if we can advance them to kind of give other churches a chance to catch up. But it is true that people to whom we give depend on us, you know, I mean, basically to stay open. And the places you support, you know, really, really do need your care and your prayer. So remember the guys in Siberia. And, you know, you can't ever tell. This is why, as long as I've got you, I'll put a pitch in for, this is why we urge you to do electronic giving. Electronic giving smooths out the cash flow. And like any organization, we have regular things that we need to do. I mean, the same thing for them. They're, 
suddenly they get this interruption of cash flow, and it's like, do all the churches need to shut down, and do all the pastors need to go home? And Russia's a tough place for that. So um, we'll give what we give you know, to them today. That'll go that way. Last week, I asked you about moving next door. Um, you know, part of that was we had you know, 15 or 20 people standing outside, which is always difficult. We may move next door. If we move, we'll have coffee. We'll set it up in a way that it hopefully will be cozy. We're just, we have to see. We have to leave enough. We don't want to discourage people, especially at the beginning of the year, not coming to Bible study because there's not a place to sit. And it's like everything else. It's, even for people who are here, it's hard to kind of walk to the front of the room and sit you know, right there. That's a difficult. You know, you may see a chair. That's not really a chair because <laughs> nobody's going to sit there, okay? So um, we're just on the edge of this room is too small, but we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. Okay, anything else? Everybody good? Men's steak fry, Friday night. I don't know if I wasn't here for the first service um, for the announcements, but, you know, Remember to call your friends and, and get them out, and it'll be, you know, it's always good fun. And uh, bring your friends. Bring friends. You know, it's, there's no cost. Just bring friends. Life's good. Okay, questions about anything? All right, here we go. Um, open your Bible to Acts 2. So um, I heard again this weekend a story of another young, hip pastor who's starting an Acts 2 church, which is great. I mean, congratulations. You've been in Acts, Acts 2 church for about 15 years. And in a, min- in a minute, I'll show you why. Now, um, one of the interesting things is it's a great impulse because what happened in the Acts church um, was a remarkable thing. The only trouble is um, what people normally think is happening in an Acts 2 church is not really what's happening. And the book of Acts by itself, we, are, we probably won't do much more than just what we do this morning, but the book of Acts by itself is kind of a mess. Um, the church, when it started, was kind of disorderly. It was kind of mixed up. It was all changing and people knew things and other people didn't know things and people are getting baptized and people are standing up and saying, I'm a prophet. And then they're like, no, you're not really a prophet. And can I buy some of that? No, you can't buy it. It's for free. And people are speaking in tongues and the, the apostles and who's in charge here. And we got a big voters meeting in Jerusalem and you know, who's, you know, Jesus is gone. And so Acts is kind of a mess. It's not necessarily prescriptive. And so you have to be very careful in Scripture to read what's descriptive as descriptive. They're just telling you the story. I think the Joy Group has been going through a a long litany of not very pretty stories from the Old Testament, right? Those Those are not prescriptive stories. You know, you shouldn't make the oath that I'll kill the next thing that comes around the corner in thankfulness to God, and then your daughter walks around the corner and you kill her. That's not the way that the Lord, that Solomon had 700 extra wives, you know, after he prayed for wisdom. That, you know... I mean, we do have to question whether that prayer was answered or not, I just have to say. So, uh, not because of any failing on the part of women, it is completely the failing on the part of men, okay? I mean, uh, so you just, you have to sort out where the Lord is, and that's why we always talk about mandate or bidding or... um, institution. So Jesus gives words of institution for, ba- for, for baptism in the Lord's Supper and absolution. You know, uh, baptism, make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching. Go do that. Or um, John 20, absolution, he breathes on them, the Holy Spirit. Whoosh, he gives them a gift of the Holy Spirit and he says, if you forgive, they're forgiven. If you retain or if you don't re- forgive, they're not forgiven. Or with the Lord's Supper, do this, and the, the verb is iterative, do this over and over and over again in memory of me. So Jesus, when Jesus wants us to do things, he tells us, you know, what it is that, that he wants us to do. And what we have to do in Acts 2 is kind of sort that out. What's the, 
What's the description? So if you had a dinner party at your if you were at the Scheidt's wedding last night, so here's the thing. I could tell you all about it. Now, there's some things you'd want to do, like have your wedding in a church, you know. More and more people are outside the church. You know, we try to work with that, and we don't just automatically say no, but it's better. And then there's that party afterwards with all the shites. I could describe it to you, but do you want a party like that? I just don't know. So, uh, but you'll have to talk to the shites, and don't, don't, don't tell them I told you anything. Pre pretend, you, pretend you read about it on Facebook, okay? Don't put it, don't put it back on me, because... I'm sworn to secrecy. Okay, Acts 2. Just kind of a quick read through about the first 40 verses. And you can kind of think about where Jesus is describing, uh, you know, what the church is and then what the church should be. So, we did a little bit of this, a little bit of this last week. And by the way, I was a little late in getting the handouts up here, but if you need a handout, just, you know, you can stand up and grab one from the back. And if they're, Mary, did you start that for me? Did you start the Sign-in sheet for me. You're a nice, nice woman. So Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost came. Okay, so you remember how this worked. There was Easter. Jesus dies. Three days later, there's Easter. Um, you know, 40 days later is the ascension into heaven. And 50 days later is Pentecost. So when, and it's a Jewish festival. So that means, you know, Jews from around the world are making pilgrimage to Jerusalem, so they have all these people there. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This is the disciples. And suddenly a sound came from heaven, like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. So they hear something, okay? It's kind of interesting. There's a lot going on. They hear something, and there appeared to them tongues of fire, distributed and resting on each of them. From Sunday school, you're used to having um, the tongues on their heads. When Luther um, had this painted or approved, Luther had the fire coming out of their mouths, interestingly enough. So we normally, you know, think of tongue, t resting on them. We normally, you know, we think of it resting here. Luther actually has this, there's this wood, famous woodcut where it's coming out of their mouths, the fire is, because it's the Holy Spirit who now words himself into the people. It filled the house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them as tongues of fire, distributed and resting on each one. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, it's extraordinarily important to see this is not um, the gift of tongues that's spoken about by Paul later in 1 Corinthians, for example. This is people who spoke French could hear French. People who spoke Greek could speak Greek. Speak, people who spoke German, they would hear German. I speak, you know, anachronistically, of course. But people heard in their own language. This wasn't gibberish, or it wasn't unintelligible. These were... People who had never studied languages suddenly have the gift of speaking. It's the Tower of Babel reversed, right? Everybody spoke one language, goes the story, and then they got too powerful, and they thought they would make a tower and make themselves gods. And so what, how do you confuse people? How do you destroy a people? How do you destroy a place, a nation, a family? Make it impossible for them to communicate. They can't communicate. The first rule of a dysfunctional family, never say what's on your mind right? So you have the inability to communicate and it gets destroyed. This is true for everything from football teams coach to politics in Syria. If you can't communicate, things fall apart, okay? So it's coming, you know, some, in some sense there's this physical mark. You can hear it, you can see it, the sound of it is there, right? 
And the Spirit began to give them utterance. Give is a, is a give them utterance. Give them words. Give them the ability to speak. It's a gift. So the Holy Spirit rests on them. Later, you know, what we're going to talk about is how he rests on you, and he gives you things like wisdom and courage. That's where we're going. We're going to talk about the, the gifts that God gives to all of you and how you exercise those. But the first one's given here, quite publicly, is this gift of utterance, of speech, of communication. There are dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So basically at Pentecost, people made pilgrimage, and so a lot of the world is represented. At this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. This isn't what we expected, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So it's intelligible. You know, if you can speak German, you know, you can hear it. And they were amazed, and they wondered, and they said, aren't these guys who are speaking Gentiles? How is it that we hear each of us in his native language, in his real language? Parthians, Medes, and the Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues. Now, it's really interesting in that list, he's basically trying to say, it's like when the angels say to all people. He's basically trying to give you a list to say that the known world is represented. One commentator, who's, this is kind of an interesting point, uh, if it holds up, notes that um, a tribe or two of these people had been extinct for a couple thousand years. So why do you name people who have disappeared from the face of the earth a hundred or two hundred or a thousand years ago? You know, part of what's being said here is everybody's in, nobody's out. That's the point. So you name people even who have died out, tribes who have died out. You say, those people are included too, and you people are included, and other people. And as far as we can reach, as far as we know, Everybody is in, nobody's out. That's the point. Everybody's in, nobody's out. Okay? Still good? All right. So, um, they were amazed. They were perplexed. They said to one another, what does this mean? Some said, they're filled with new wine. So, you know, they got an early start on the day. Uh, right? Steak fry. But Peter... Just seeing if you're paying attention. Standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and address. And already you see some predominance of Peter. He's often, uh, Peter is in the greater county principle, first in, first out. You know, he's the first one to, and then he's also the first one to get rebuked. But he gets better. You know, I'm not, you know, she turned me into a newt. I got better. Okay? Say, just checking to see where you are. I just, you know, there's some of you who know, and then... You should come to confession if you watch that kind of thing. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice. He addressed the men of Judea, those who dwell in Jerusalem. Let it be known to you and give ear to my words. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. This is what is spoken by the prophet Joel. Now pause. What I'm going to suggest to you, this is the prophet Joel. Later, what I'm going to suggest to you is that the seven gifts that you get from the Holy Spirit are actually the same gifts that the Holy Spirit gave first to Jesus. We hear, it, we hear about it every Christmas, you know, that wisdom and the fear of the Lord. Actually, the Isaiah prophecy of what happens to the Messiah, what I'm going to argue is that this, in fact, happens to you because you're part of the church. It happens to Jesus in the body, and then it happens to the body of Jesus in the church. That's where I'm going, okay? So Isaiah predicts, Joel predicts, these are, these are prophecies that come true in the church. In that day, God declares, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. So now, right, the gift of the Spirit is given. 
On your sons and your daughters, they shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. This is glorious stuff. Everybody's in. Nobody's out. On my men servants and my maid servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. They shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and the signs in the earth below, blood and fire, vapor and smoke, sun turned to darkness, moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes the great and manifest day, and it shall be that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's very, frankly, it's very simple to be saved, you know. Um, it's very simple. I mean, simply to say, Jesus saved me is enough to be saved. Yes, please. Yeah, actually, it's a very it's a very rational uh, feeling, and I've had that. I've also had that feeling myself. I also will just tell you. I think, I, and I've said this to you, is um, so. If I could quote it in Latin, although we'll ask Kleinig when it comes. When I put such a question to Kleinig, he quoted me Anselm in Latin. That basically, I need to get the Latin phrase, but it basically the answer was, "You haven't yet probed the evil in human hearts." And the very simple answer is, "We're we're horribly evil." I am. I am. You know. The older I get, the more I see this great dichotomy between our evil and God's holiness. Now, what's interesting is, is kind of the youthful mistake is, or, or the dead orthodox mistake, or the mean mistake, or the we're better than you mistake, the everybody's not in, we're in, and other people are out mistake is. Here's the deal. I'll just put it to you pastorally, okay? I was actually thinking about this this morning, um, given to the Eucharist to people. I was, you know, because this is what I think about when I'm not thinking about anything else. Normally, very easily you come out of seminary and um, they very carefully, and this is correct, say, you know, people who are unrepentant shouldn't receive the Eucharist. And so um, I've just been thinking a lot about how seminary, I'm supposed to lecture at the seminary in a month to a bunch of guys, and I'm sitting on a dissertation committee, and I, I was down there, so I was kind of concerned with so many things, and I'm preaching there, and I'm going to celebrate there in October. So I kind of had this on my mind. And so I was thinking about, usually, it's true, you don't want to give the Eucharist to people who are wholly unrepentant. Here's the deal, though. It's a little like if you're sick, and I know the one thing that will cure you is this medicine, but I can't give it to you if, unless you say yes, but this medicine would make you say yes. It's very difficult. It's very difficult because this is the thing that will cure you. This touch, if I touch you with this, it could cure you. It doesn't have to. This could cure you, and yet I can't give it to you unless you're receptive. Like I can't inoculate you unless you'll take the disease. You've, you've certainly heard about the rise of both polio and, and measles because people aren't vaccinating their kids. I heard a very interesting thing driving down to the wedding. A doctor said, the trouble with young parents is they've never seen people die from measles. Right? And then I happened to sit next to a guy at the wedding um, who said, I just had a friend of mine, 36, die of polio. Now that's, a 36 is like, holy cow. So you start to, th does this, is this all making sense? So here's the cure, here's the cure. And it's all yours. Everybody's in, this is for you, Bruce, this is yours. I'd love to give it to you. And the human heart says, this is Eden. I just, I'll just take care of this myself. Right? I'll just fix this myself. I, I, hey, I got this, okay? I got this one. And you're like, you have no idea how much you do not have this one. 
right? So that's the point. Not by force. Everybody's in. Everybody's in. I mean, the Lord dies. God loved the world. He, you know, John 3, 16. He died for the whole world. Sent his only son to die for the whole world. Everybody's in. Unless, as C.S. Lewis says, the door to hell is locked from the inside. And Jesus is only your enemy if you make him be your enemy, right? And so some of the people are saying like, hey, I'm just not interested in this for a range of reasons. And that's the very difficult thing. And the hard thing for you and for me is to be kind at that moment. Okay? That's the hard thing. You, you just, it's everything from raising your kids to figuring out who to marry to what you're going to do with your job to where you're going to go to church. It's just which button you're going to push and if you're going to get it right, right? So, everybody's in, nobody's out, at least for Jesus. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, so Jesus went through and did all these things. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, the prophecies, you crucified him and you killed him by the hands of lawless men, but, big do-over, God raised him up, and having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now, I just want you to notice that's the creed already taking formation. That's the creed that you're going to say today. You're going to say incarnation, authentication, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived, um, crucifixion and resurrection. That's the second article of the creed right there. Boom, it's already taken shape. The creed wasn't something new. It was just saying a little bit more than was said before. David says, I saw my Lord, my Lord before him. He's always at my right hand that he may not be shaken. My heart was glad. My tongue rejoiced. My flesh will dwell in hope. He won't abandon me to Hades. Okay? So just keep going. Just keep going. I want to push you a little bit because I really want to get out by 1040 so I don't put as much press on you. Um, being exalted to the right hand, that's verse 33, the ascension. So just start at verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this which you see and hear. So the Spirit gets poured out. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for sure that God has made him both Lord and Christ. He sits at the right hand of God, the end of the creed second article of the creed, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Okay? Now the next part you know, some kind of kind of blitz through this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's what the preaching of the law does. You've come up short. And they said to Peter, what do we do? And Peter said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the whole doctrine of baptism packed in one verse. Repent, I really need that. There's a bunch of ways that people repent, you know, but one of them is just say, wow, I, I really need that, right? Repent, be baptized. Notice um, it's a passive verb. People baptize you. You don't do it yourself. It's a gospel thing. In the name of Jesus Christ, already a shorthand. Now Jesus Christ becomes shorthand for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For the forgiveness of all your sins. So baptism actually does something. It actually forgives. Baptism for the forgiveness of sins. When the water touches you, you are forgiven. Right? Best question of the morning was about Pastor Nelson's sermon. Uh, that, you know, kids have to write sermon notes, which is great. One of the most fun of being a pastor is to, like, 
put the fix in on some kids' sermon notes. Like put a question in that Pastor Nelson won't be able to answer. That's great. <laughs> he does the same thing to me. Uh, but so this, I mean, but this is a great, the, one of the questions I got walking through this morning was, if you do a really, really bad sin, can that be forgiven and can you still go to heaven? Now that is a great confirmation question because that's a question that never goes away. If you're savvy about your soul, you think to yourself, some point in your life, I did that and I can't believe, I wonder if that can be forgiven. And so the answer is, you know, the great nagalism, the Lord forgives more sins than you've got. So I said that to her and she looked at me and I said, so if you have 10 sins, the Lord forgives 11. And if you have 100, he forgives 101. Right? That's what this says. The Lord forgives more sins than you've got. He forgives your sins and then more, he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? Now, pause. Thus far, the great hullabaloo of Pentecost. And when people talk about an Acts 2 church, that's normally what they're talking about. Here's the deal. Pentecost was a one-off event. It happened one time like this. This is the description of how the church got started, the church as we know it. It's a one-off, right? We don't know of another instance where the Spirit came in fire and in sound and allowed people this gift. He does some other things, but in this sense, you know, and there are things that could be offshoots of this, but there's one Pentecost and it gets started. So to try to build a church where Sunday after Sunday you think this is going to happen, I'm not confident about that. And it doesn't seem to me that the early church was confident about that either. And by early church, I mean like right now, you know, 33 AD or wherever we are here in this text, 30 AD. That church either, because now what, watch what they do. The question is, A, do they go home and come back the next Sunday and say, okay, where's the fire and the wind? You know, do they do that or do they go home and do something else? And the answer is ding, 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 B. They go home and do something else. Watch what happens now. So you have this big experience, right? And he testified, verse 40, with many other words and exhorted them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Poof. Save yourselves. Man, Jesus is here to save you. Get saved. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, which is great. And now, here's the thing. Don't interpolate from this that, you know, people get, you know, a 10-minute sermon and then they get baptized. It's not impossible. But people who showed up to, pil to, to, to Pentecost had made a pilgrimage. They were informed Jews who had spent their lunch money getting from Mesopotamia and Rome. So they had traveled for weeks, sometimes months, for this day. These are not unsophisticated or unbelieving people. These are people for whom Jesus is the final, you know, period on the end of the sentence. So you shouldn't read this as, you know, as often happens in the church today, people come for a donut at 9 and they join the church at 12. That's not what's happening here. These people are extraordinarily well informed and they're extraordinarily obedient and sophisticated. They know what they're doing. They've taken off work for two or three months to come to Jerusalem, stay, and then go back home, right? So this is, you know, this is like the last piece. They got what they came for. So, save yourselves, okay. They received this word. They were baptized. They were added this day about 3,000 souls. Now look what happens. Here's where it gets normal. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Now, I've outlined this for you under number six, but you don't need to look at that right now. I'm just telling you that it's there. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let's just go slowly through this. So they devoted themselves first to the apostles and to the apostles' teaching. Okay, so it's very clear that these men that Jesus has put into the office, these men that Jesus called, it's very clear that they're, that they're running the show. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They basically do what the apostles tell them. Now, the cool thing is, is that the Holy Spirit is active in those apostles the way he's not active in us, in the giving of, of Scripture and in the first dis disciples. I mean, this is a remarkable, you know, unlike justification, where Jesus gives the same forgiveness in great measure to everybody. So, you know, how much, uh, Jesus, you know, if Jesus were given, you know, forgiveness in this room, he would flood this room, you know, right up to the, right up to the wood at the top of the wall. And, you know, they're, but the Holy Spirit, as we'll find out later, the Holy Spirit is given in measure. The Holy Spirit is given differently. You're a different person than I am. I'm different than you. You're different than her. You're different from her. Everybody gets a different thing. This was the whole behind find your spot, work your spot, which is on the back if you need a map to remember where you're going. The, some of you have one gift. Some of you have another gift. The, the interesting thing is, is to discover your gift and to use it well. And sometimes the, the, you know, those things are both taxing to figure out what you're good at and where you belong. And sometimes it changes. And sometimes what you think is your gift is not really your gift, and other people can see you better than you can see yourself, and they can help you with that, which is why the community needs to work and why you need to have smart people around and um, you know, why it's so important to get to know each other in a deep kind of spiritual level. Okay, but at least for this, the apostles' gift was, frankly, to preach and then to die. So 11 of these guys, they're all going to go out. All 12 of them are going to go out and preach, and 11 of them are going to be martyred. St. John is the only one on Patmos. You know, he's the only one who lives and dies a natural death. Right? So their gift is preaching and dying. That's their gift. Yeeks. Okay. So those who received his word were baptized, 3,000 souls. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which you know today as Scripture. Say you have your devotions. Read your text. You know, do pray as you go. Get a prayer book. Give yourself a chance. Devote yourself to the get, get you know, buy beads. We've done this. But this is what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles. Devotion. You know, they devoted themselves to it. This is number one in my life. This will guide, guide my life. Okay? So, Scripture. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, now, a little bit of ambiguity, and I've become more convinced of this over the years, Fellowship and the breaking of the bread. Now, there's a couple things that can be going on there. On the mild side of things, um, and probably this is probably where I began, you know, years ago. On the mild side of things, fellowship and the breaking of bread sounds like having a potluck together, which is not horrible. I mean, except for the green jello. So, um, <laughs> green jello's fine. Uh, you know, unless you put pretzels in it. I just don't get that. But anyway, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Unless you put pretzels and Cool Whip on it, then it's still just weird. Okay, now we're getting there. We're we getting closer. That's what. Uh, see, one man's poison, another man's. So anyway, 
But actually, you know, kind of the longer I've gone, I'm fairly certain that they're talking about liturgy and the Eucharist here. And here's why. Um, fellowship, koinonia, is the technical term for the Lord's Supper. It's for the gathering around the Lord's Supper. It's community. They devoted themselves to koinonia, to fellowship, to community. In general, that means the gathering, koinonia, community. It comes easily into our language. But then, and if you think back, we've talked about this, you know, five years ago or seven years ago. When it's used of a meal, it actually means, it has a technical use in Greek. When koinonia is used with a meal, it means eating and drinking. This is why in 1 Corinthians um, 12 and 13, when it talks about, um, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, when it talks about, um, um, everybody knows, 1 Corinthians 10, everybody knows that the cup of blessing which we bless is an is a drinking of the Lord's blood, a koinonia. The word actually, when it's used at supper time, it means eating and drinking. It doesn't just mean gathering. It actually has a technical focus. Well, you know, this seems to me to mean, you know, at the very least it means that they gathered for a regular liturgy, okay? But I'm, I'm pretty convinced that it means that they got together for the liturgy and the Eucharist and prayers, okay? So now things are kind of taking shape. They have this great bit experience, and when what happens? If you want to be an Acts church, do you A, try to duplicate that experience, or B, do you live within the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives? The answer is B, you live within the gifts. This is the very first thing I did at St. John 16 years ago. Partly the reason I'm doing it again today is, you know, a lot of you weren't here 16 years ago. But I mean, can anybody recite it from 16 years ago? What is it? Christ? Oh, I'm glad it worked. Okay, good deal. <laughs> Come on, Schlossman, you can do this off the top of your head. Christ first, daily prayer, daily scripture reading, being in the liturgy every week, faithful giving, generous uh, uh, service, uh, faithful service. There you go. Perfect. Christ, scripture, prayer, the liturgy. Christ, scripture, prayer, the liturgy. A real tithe. A merciful acts. Abundant mercy and a winsome witness. That's what we did. The rhythm of the Christian life, I gave a whole series of sermons on this right after I arrived. The very first thing I did here, that the Christian life has a rhythm, and the rhythm looks just like Acts 2, Christ. So the first 40 verses are about Christ, the creed, Christ. Now here, what did they do? When they heard about Christ, what did they do? Did they try to duplicate Pentecost? No, Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Scripture. Prayer, that's the end of verse, the next verse there. The divine service, they devoted themselves to koinonia and the breaking of the bread. So there's two parts to that, the gathering and the Eucharist. And now watch what happens after this. Okay, 41. Fear came upon every soul. There were many signs and wonders done through the apostles. Those are merciful things as well as great acts of witness, right? And they who believed together had all things in common. I got a new, I got a new, I got a new tithing speech out of this. I can't believe it took me this long. You remember, I mean, you remember my basic tithing speech. When Jesus picked numbers, he picked 10%. When you picked numbers, the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate, present company accepted because you're all given 10%. The Lutheran Church Missouri Senate gives what? 2.7%. What does that mean? You stink at picking numbers. I'm going to see if I can give the synodical address on this at the next big convention. There'll be very little chance of this. So basically what happens is, and then people always say to me, we're not under the law anymore. And I'm like, you're right, you're not under the law anymore. So you can give 100% if you want, right? This is great, man. Turn all, money is evil, give us your money. The classic socialist line, your money is evil, give us your money. 
we know what to do with evil. <laughs> right? So here's the thing. You're right. You are free from the 10%. Just know that in the early church, when they were free from the 10%, they didn't go down to 2.7. They went up to 100. Just observing the text, okay? The text says what it says. They had everything in common. They sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all. So that's big mercy and big witness all tied together. And as any had need, you know, they gave to them, right? Manna fund. Isn't that great? And day by day, attending the temple together, so they actually went to church every day. You know, there, was a, there weren't too many ruffled feathers when we went to the daily Eucharist, but you know what? There it is right there. They went to church every day. The text says they went to church every day. Right there. Day by day, I know there were people who were cranky because we were counting the people who come on Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning when we turned in our numbers for how many people come to church, and some people thought that was illicit. Well, the weird thing is every other church in America counts their Lenten people. So if you're good enough to come every day, we shouldn't count you. Here it is in the text. It's Acts 2. They went to church every day and um, breaking bread in their homes. And why in their homes? And people say we should have a house church. Why did they do it in their homes? Because they were poor. They didn't have any church buildings yet. Stay tuned 300 years from now. Constantine and, you know, here we go. Day by day, you know, so there's nothing wrong with doing it in your home, but your home is only so big. I mean, there's none of you as a home that we could even do this, let alone what we did at the first service, right? So home is not like you're supposed to have a house church where every man is a pastor. That's not, the, that's not what's being said here. They met in homes because somebody said, wow, there's only room for seven of us here, and we got 13, what do we do? And somebody says, we can go to my house. It's as simple as that. It's no more complicated. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking of the bread, Attending the temple together would be the morning and evening sacrifice that pious Jews did. They partook food with glad and generous hearts. Isn't that great? So they put everything in common, and they're very generous, and they give to other people, and it's all okay because we're all in it together, boys and girls. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, this is the last thing we didn't do, and this would be, you know, the exclamation point on the end of the list that Dave gave you. And ten the verbs. And the Lord, so the Lord does the verbs, and this is the one thing we didn't talk about, and there was a reason we didn't talk about it, because in the past, we weren't sort of fit for human consumption sometimes. But now, you live in a place where people do live and die by Christ's scripture prayer and the liturgy, by being merciful, by being generous, by being good witnesses. And when you do the first seven things, guess what happens? The Lord added to their number day by day to those who are being saved. So actually, kind of the eighth thing, and seven and eight are both great numbers, you know, the eighth thing that's given in an Acts 2 church is growth. But you don't get to growth by trying to be hipster enough with, you know, the sound and the fire that people show up for the show. The way the church grows is if you do the other seven things the Lord has given you to do. Devote yourself to Christ and to the apostolic teaching, right? Be really, really merciful and people will notice. See how they love one another. Tithe 10% so that so the church can work. One of the great reasons for not giving 2.7% is the church can't survive on 2.7%. You just, you just can't survive at that number. It just doesn't work. Every church runs like a bankruptcy then. The reason to give 10% is so the church can work. It's not under the law. It's like if you want to have a church, have a church. Sometimes a great notion. Anybody ever read that? <coughs> 
You know, this guy's in a fight, and he's, he starts to beat this other guy, and then he just beats him to a pulp. And at the end of the fight, his girlfriend says to him, um, man, you dropped him with the first punch. Why'd you beat him like that? And he turns to him and says, never do anything halfway. Now, he didn't say halfway, but this is a family show. So, um, but the thing is, that's it. Never do anything halfway. If you're going to do something, do it. There's no halfway in the gospel. There's no halfway in the church. It's never less than your best. This is what best looks like. Christ's scripture prayer, the liturgy with the Eucharist, a real tithe or more. If you want to go up to 100%, come and see me. I can help you. Um, generous giving and uh, a great witness, which will lead to growth. Yes, please. Yeah, I got you. Thanks. This quarter till. All right, so that's where we'll go. What we'll do in the future is we'll start to look at this, the gifts of the Spirit that have been given in to you. And what we want to do is see how you can access those gifts and use them well. And then also, here's the thing, the seven gifts of the Spirit, the counterpart to those are the seven deadly sins. Because what happens is every time the Spirit does something good, Satan tries to corrupt that. And so in the history of the church, there are these seven gifts of the Spirit and then the seven deadly sins. And we want to talk about those, how those interact so that you can um, do a bit better with your own lives in service to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Love you. Great to see you. You're more fun than the nuns. And they were a lot of fun. <laughs>